G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, just great to have you along with us today on 2020 at a special hour ahead. And uh, I guess if you are interested in economic issues, you probably were up watching the Treasurer last night delivering his first federal budget. You might have been uh, even hanging around to watch a lot of commentary that's been going on on media, not only last night, but of course it continued throughout uh, this morning. And everyone who is in politics on uh, both sides were up early uh, spruiking the four and against when it comes to the federal budget. Well, a unique opportunity today to talk about the federal budget from a Christian worldview perspective. What does all that mean? Well, as a Christian, of course, uh, we have a, a set of... Uh, of God's revelation instructions in one sense in the Bible and so we can interpret things according to some of those principles that we have seen in the Bible and uh, to talk about some of those things and in relation to last night we have two special guests our regular finance commentator is Gavin Martin from Cornerstone Wealth and Gavin welcome to 2020. Great to be with you again, Neil. Our other guest who's in the studio is Dr. Rod St. Hill, who is the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. He's a lecturer in economics and applying a Christian worldview to business. Uh, Rod, welcome to 2020. It's great to be here, Neil. Now, for both of you gentlemen, uh, we want to be able to get into uh, some of the detail when it comes to last night's federal budget. But uh, from the two of you, uh, before we get into those sorts of details, as Christian commentators and people who are intensely interested in the economics of the nation and in finance issues, if I ask you, Gavin Martin, first of all, your overall impression of last night's Budget. My overall impression is that it's uh, great to be back um, on, on a track that's going to get us back to um, a surplus budget. I think it's uh, projected to be a slightly uh, deficit in 2017-18, but uh, very close to getting back to a balanced budget. So I really love that side of it. It's uh, spending uh, less than we earn, which is an important uh, part of any finance, um, whether it's family or government. Uh, but I guess the concerns are the um, the targeting sometimes the, the welfare and the lower end of the of the um, socio-economic spectru- spectrum, those that potentially are doing it tough. Uh, so that's the balancing side of it. A lot of the initiatives are coming. Uh, have we still got you, Gavin? Yes, certainly have, yes. Good. Uh, Gavin, to Rod St. Hill, Rod, your overall impressions of last night's budget? Well, I, look, I do agree with Gavin in terms of what's happening to the overall budget position. Uh, the government have done quite a lot to um, uh, fix the impairment that previous government's decisions have actually brought to bear on the economy. The basic problem we have is that government is growing bigger unless there are some changes made, and that tends to sap energy from the private sector where all the wealth is created. So government at the moment is around about a quarter of our economy, and uh, one of the things the government is trying to do by balancing its budget is to actually reduce the size of government overall so that there's more opportunity for the wealth creators 
in our community actually to get out there and do what God has purposed them to do. Rod, you're interested in all sorts of things that probably most people don't understand when it comes to economics. When we talk about macroeconomics and microeconomics, if you have an understanding of definitions of those terms, you can start to get a picture of what the budget should look like in regard to the size of the economy. How do people actually understand some of those issues? Well, it is pretty tough because us economists make a full-time job of making things difficult for other people to understand. <laughs> um, but, but if you think of macroeconomics, macroeconomics is about the big picture, and essentially that focuses on what is happening overall to the unemployment rate and to the inflation rate. So uh, that's macroeconomics. Microeconomics looks much more closely at individual households and individual businesses or individual sectors in the economy, such as manufacturing or agriculture. So macroeconomics is concerned with the big picture. Microeconomics is concerned with smaller units within our economy. So when we look at last night's budget and what the the Liberal National Coalition is looking like they're trying to do, does that fit with a good plan for this balance between macroeconomics and microeconomics? Look, definitely in the area of macroeconomics, big tick. They've really taken some tough decisions there that a lot of people won't like but they're really getting the macroeconomic policy side of things right. I do believe that. As far as microeconomic policy is concerned, they've done a lot of good things as well because they pulled right back on what we call business welfare. A few years ago, business welfare was only soaking up about $1.2 billion a year. It's now well over $5 billion, and the government is pulling right back on that. So that's a good thing. But there is one other area that's not necessarily macro or microeconomics, and that's social justice policy. And I think that's where most of the debate is going to fall over the next few weeks. And I think we'll have some more uh, contribution and discussion about that through the hour. Gavin Martin, you've been dissecting last night's budget. Uh, The big issues for you, let's start with uh, the big one uh, that is very uh, certainly uh, controversial, and that comes to uh, whether the government has actually broken promises with regards to new taxes. Uh, Let's talk about the taxation issues from last night's budget. Yeah, it's pretty hard to, uh, I think, argue that you haven't broken any promises in terms of uh, not introducing new taxes. I think uh, Joe Hockey was last night uh, attempting to uh, communicate that because overall taxes are going to be lower, that we haven't broken any tax, uh, any promises. Uh, but I think it's uh, playing on words there a bit because they've actually introduced new taxes. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, the, the biggest concern, I guess, is the Social Security, uh, the uh, co-payment for visits, although there are some um, uh, mechanisms to assist those. So I think you can have... Uh, you only need to pay the co-payment on the first 10 visits for a child... Uh, and then uh, it, it's not paid. So there are some frameworks put in place to minimise, the, uh, I guess, the pain to a degree, but it is um, a regressive type of tax, that uh, co-payment. Gavin, when the Prime Minister says their fundamental promise was to repair the budget, uh, when we talk about broken promises and such things like that, uh, we are seeing broken promises, but we are also seeing a, a, a commitment that is actually being fulfilled at the same time. That's a little bit confusing, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. I, and it's a really hard situation to, to be in. It is really good to be back on track in terms of having the uh, budget uh, on, on a plan and there's not going to be just more and more debt accumulating. Um, but, yeah, they have had to, I guess, uh, push the boundaries in terms of their uh, pre-election commitments. Uh, items such as, I think they specifically said that they wouldn't touch the age pension for in this first term. So all their initiatives have, they've announced in relation to the age pension are for beyond their first term of government. And so um, they're all starting um, September 2017 um, and beyond. So they've really kept to that commitment by pushing out the changes till the next term. Obviously, one of the areas that we do like to focus on on this 2020 program whenever we talk about finances is the family. Uh, Gavin, in your opinion, uh, the families are going to be uh, hit uh, by a whole bunch of new initiatives and it does seem to be uh, that it will be harder. Are families uh, in the firing line here or do you think families will be able to cope? Yeah, definitely in the in the firing line here, and uh, one of the key ones is the family tax benefit Part B. So, just to allay a little bit of fear, this isn't supposed to come into play until the first of July two thousand and fifteen. And there are also some grandfathering rules. So, if you're already uh, receiving the benefit, um, then it might not be cut out at that point in time. It might you might get another year, um, but if you're not yet uh, eligible for it, then it will be. Uh, uh, you won't be eligible for it from the 1st of July 2015. And it could be as much as... So somebody earning between um, 100... or a family earning between $100,000 and $150,000 and they've got a, a preschool-aged child, uh, then they could actually be um, foregoing or missing out on uh, about $4,000 in family tax benefits in that scenario. So it is, a, it is a big hit. You really have to focus on your family budget, particularly from that 1st of July 2015 period. Rod St Hill, when we talk about families and uh, when we talk about Christian worldview perspectives on economics and finances and federal budgets, uh, how important is it for governments to really focus in and get things right for families? Oh, absolutely. I think they do always have to keep in mind the need to keep the family unit solid and together. With respect to what's happening with Family Tax Benefit B, that really is a difficult one because a lot of the people who benefit for that are in the middle income brackets and effectively what's happening is that the government is actually taxing them from their right hand and giving it back to them in their left hand. So there's a lot of recycling going on. That's what economists call churn. And uh, so for many families, we're talking mainly about families in the middle. We're talking about around about 60% of households here. What's happening is that they're paying higher tax rates than they otherwise would and they're getting more social benefits than they otherwise would. And one of the things the government is trying to do is to redress that balance a little bit. Um, and I think that's a good thing because this, this churn, this just taking from the right hand and giving it right back to the left hand, it actually reduces wealth in the nation overall because you've actually got to have some kind of administrative mechanisms in the middle and people are no better off as a result. Nevertheless, there are families at the bottom end who will be worse off because of the whole mix of changes. So, for example, they will incur the fuel excise tax if they have a car. And uh, some of them will, of course, um, find that their, their total welfare payments are down because of what's happening in family tax benefit B. But uh, overall, family tax benefit B is not going to do a lot of damage to people in the middle but I, I do concede that there will be some people at the bottom. They really are going to find it more difficult. There's no doubt about that. But what's happened is that the government could have done something else. They could have increased taxes for the people in the middle, 
or reduced welfare, and they chose to reduce welfare. If I would ask you, both Gavin Martin and Rod St Hill, when it comes to the poor in our community, and uh, I know that there'll be many who'll say, uh, well, compared to other nations, there are no poor in our community, everybody's relatively well off. But when we talk about those lower socioeconomic uh, sectors of our community, uh, people who are on welfare, and we talk about students and uh, families, uh, single parents, uh, when we hear that they are are in fact hard hit as a Christian with compassion and looking at these sorts of things through a Christian worldview, where does that sit with where we ought to perhaps think that uh, people ought to be looked after? Gavin Martin, what are your thoughts? Yes, I think it does present an opportunity for churches to move back into that space in a, in a bigger way to look out for those in their community and whether that's helping them up with uh, support to work or uh, it may be in other more financial ma- uh, ways. I guess that's what the church did uh, many years ago, and now we've relied on government more so to do that. So um, I guess that does present an opportunity, but it doesn't make it any more uh, easy for those people that um, uh, you know that are, are suffering those um, uh, ch- that the changes that have been announced, uh, like the fuel excise, um, the, the, the co-payment for medical appointments. Uh, Rod St Hill, uh, your thoughts on uh, on Christian perspectives when it comes to people at the lower socioeconomic end who are going to be hit? Well, look, there's absolutely no doubt that biblically God does not like poverty. There's no doubt about that. God's desire is that all of us, whether we're Christians or not, actually should flourish. You know, his heart's desire is that we should prosper in all that we do. His main method of delivering the kind of life in which we can flourish is actually through work. And uh, I actually believe that the best thing we can do for social justice is to create conditions in which businesses can provide more sustainable paid employment because that is actually consistent with the way in which we're created by God. We actually are created to work and that's that's the mandate that God gave us in Genesis 1 and 2. And I, I agree with Gavin that it's not actually the role of government. Biblically speaking, there is no role for government in providing social welfare. In the Old Testament, you know, God said to his people in the book of Deuteronomy, you will always have the poor among you, so be open-handed in all your dealings with them. That's an individual responsibility that we have. John the Baptist, Jesus, and the Apostle Paul, they all assumed private welfare rather than social welfare. So I, I agree with Gavin's point very strongly. It is now time for the body of Christ to step up and take on the mandate that was there right from creation. Let me ask you about last night's federal budget. Does it, in fact, set up a, a landscape that will actually help those, uh, the, the, those jobs that you're talking about? You say uh, this is what the government needs to be doing. This is a Christian perspective. Uh, the scenario where you've got work provision, because that's the thing that makes us fulfilled and what we ought to be looking at for Christians to be able to sustain uh, a lifestyle. Oh, on the whole, it does, I think. And um, that that's shown by their determination to actually get the size of government down. I also think that when you have a look at the way in which they've timed most of these changes, the effect won't happen for another few years. And so the government, I think, is cognizant of the fact that our unemployment rate is above that rate which we would operate at if the economy was at its full capacity. So we're operating below our full capacity. The government can see that three or four years out from now, there will be more growth, there will be more jobs. And so that's when most of the changes will actually begin to bite 
fairly heavily. So I, I think on the whole they've got those macro parameters set very well indeed. We will continue our conversation and uh, for listeners, wherever you might be right around the nation, you are invited to be a part of our conversation today. You can make your comment. Was last night's budget a good budget? Are you happy to share the pain? What are your thoughts on broken promises or the commitment to bring the budget back under control? You can be a part of our conversation today. You can call us on 1-800-880-876. Our talkback lines are open. 1-800-880-876. Our guests this hour, our regular finance commentator, Gavin Martin, the founder of Cornerstone Wealth. He's in Melbourne talking to us. And Dr. Rod St. Hill is the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane, a lecturer in economics and applying a Christian worldview to business. We'll talk some more about the budget in just a few moments. It's Neil Johnson with you on 2020. Two special guests this hour, our regular finance commentator Gavin Martin and Dr Rod St Hill, who's the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. We are talking about last night's federal budget, what it means for you and I, and how do we interpret some of those things that we have heard from the Treasurer when it comes to our Christian faith. How do we have a faith look at last night's federal budget or interpreting some of those things that we have heard by way of a Christian worldview. We'll be talking about some of those things, your opportunity to contribute to our conversation today. You can pick up the phone and you can be a part of our talkback conversation on 1-800-880-876. That's 1-800-880-876. Gavin Martin, you have dissected this budget top to toe. Another one of the major issues that you have seen has been to do with some areas of social security. Uh, let's talk about the aged pension. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so one of the initiatives that the government announced or leaked uh, prior to the budget was the idea of increasing the eligibility to the, of the aged pension to age 70. Uh, so this will affect people who were born after the 1st of July 1958. So it's going to continue. It's slowly, um, slowly build up. So um, it'll increase from, it's currently 67 uh, it'll go up to 67.5 for those born just after the 1st of July 1958 and then increase to 70 years of age for those people who were 70 in 2035. Um, I think it's an important initiative. Uh, it, it is uh, a fact that those initial rates of um, age pension age were set back in, I think, 1908 and hadn't changed even though life expectancy had changed. So that's a big one that was announced there. Other social security issues, of course, uh, disability support? Yeah, disability support uh, pension, um, it's really targeting those under 35 years of age and so um, trying to assist them back into employment if they possibly can and I guess making it tougher to stay on it. I think there was a period where it was a little bit easier to get onto the disability support pension and they're particularly targeting, targeting those people. Um, and then it was also with disability support, those people that are travelling overseas, you can travel overseas for a, a six-week period and still get the... A disability support pension and it would reset every time you came back. Um, now they're saying it's a maximum of four weeks a year otherwise you don't you don't receive the disability support pension. Uh, let me ask Rodson Hill when it comes to issues like what's happened with the aged pension and with disability support uh, is there something we need to be concerned about here because really aren't we as a nation 
to be judged uh, whether we actually look after our elderly population and those who are perhaps the, the most vulnerable and those people with disabilities. Is this an issue when it comes to uh, understanding what we ought to do with budgets? Uh, well, not so much with budgets because I think we have to be very, very careful that we don't abrogate our personal responsibility for looking after the needs of the poor or the, the disadvantaged or the marginalised. And look, prior to the Reformation, it was the church that did it. The Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation was the largest economic, social enterprise on earth. And there's never been anything quite like it since. And unfortunately, I think one of the downsides of the Reformation was we had a very strong focus on individual salvation and there was a rehabilitation of vocation as important in God's purpose. But over a long period of time, the role of the church, the body of Christ in supporting those who are poor or marginalised is diminished. And what it's actually meant in today's um, circumstances is that the church has almost forfeited the right to speak in the public square. And so often we're told, keep religion out of politics. You know, that Christians have got no right to speak into such and such an issue. And one of the reasons for that is we've pulled right back from our God-given responsibility in these areas. Having said that, we can't change things overnight. And I, I really do think one of the best things that we can do is to encourage our business people to become actively involved in providing opportunities for people who are disadvantaged. So if you take the Old Testament law of gleaning, for example, in Leviticus uh, chapter 19, I think it is, the whole point there was to provide the poor with the dignity of supporting themselves by going through the fields and harvesting what was left over, the fields and the grapevines. So a modern application of that in business, for example, could be to reserve a certain number of jobs in your business for people who would not otherwise find employment. And I think that's something that we can usefully think about. That is very true. A, a statistic comes to mind, I hope it's accurate, uh, where I heard recently that 23 of the top 25 charities in Australia have Christian foundations. And, we're, of course, we're talking right back to uh, the first uh, settlement uh, of uh, after the first fleet arrived. Uh, the charities in Australia have Christian foundations. So it's interesting when you say churches perhaps have... Uh, have given way to others to look after welfare and we have maybe perhaps potentially washed our hands of that or all of the welfare organisations that we say were Christian founded are often uh, funded by uh, by government uh, taxation. So, so how do you actually bring about a change to, uh, to take back some of the authority that comes with those sorts of charitable uh, uh, improvements in people's well, lives. Look, I, I think it requires a change in thinking in the first place. We in the church have got to stop thinking it's the government's role to fix all of these problems and say, no, actually God has equipped the church to do it. He's equipped the body of Christ to do it. He's equipped people in business to be able to provide employment, meaningful, sustainable paid employment so that people get the opportunity to express their creative capacity that God placed in them so that people get the opportunity to work in community. God made us relational. So people have the opportunity to find purpose in their life because as God has purpose, so too do we. And also it gives people the opportunity to develop their moral capacity because morality is simply about making decisions. And when I talk to business people in these terms, the light suddenly goes on for them because they realise that they've got far greater a purpose in the kingdom than they ever realised they had. And I think if we can harness the enormous potential 
of business in the context of the body of Christ, within a few years, certainly within less than a generation, we can make very significant inroads into the social justice problem that we have in this nation. I love your idea about businesses making space uh, for people who perhaps are marginalised in our community, whereas some businesses uh, don't need a great skill set to be able to uh, function in different areas of employment. You're saying that every Christian business has a capacity here to reach out into the community and actually with a hand of compassion, with the hand of Christ, actually be a blessing. And we may well be called upon in the years to come uh, to be more and more involved in that level of uh, welfare that happens via the Christian church. Uh, Gavin Martin, other areas when we talk about uh, these uh, areas of social security, uh, the New Start allowance, there's changes there, the family tax benefits, it is going to be putting pressure on families and uh, it may well call for churches to play a greater role in care for people who might be doing it extra tough. Yes, it certainly will. And uh, I'm not sure if you're with about talking about the aid budget uh, later in the conversation, but uh, totally related to what uh, Rod was saying there as well. Um, I think that's taken a big hit in this budget, and it gives us, I guess, the opportunity to um, fill that gap with overseas um, uh, contributions as well. If it's not coming from government, then where's it going to come from? Uh, I guess that's where we as um, a Christian community can stand up. I do want to talk about that aid budget and we will come back and we'll continue our conversation. We are doing what you might call a unique Christian worldview breakdown of last night's budget and some of those issues that arise from the changes that the Treasurer Joe Hockey has announced. Our special guests, Gavin Martin, our regular finance commentator, the founder of Cornerstone Wealth. Also, Dr. Rodson Hill, who's the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College. He's a lecturer in economics and applying a Christian worldview to business. We're talking about last night's budget, your opportunity to contribute to our conversation too. Our number is 1-800-880-876. That's one 1-800- We're inviting your comments on the budget. Are you happy to share the pain? Uh, What are your thoughts on broken promises or on the commitment to bring the budget back under control? We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. It's Neil Johnson with you on this special focused 2020 breakdown of last night's federal budget. We're talking about the budget in light of a Christian worldview. We're inviting your comments. You can be a part of our conversation. Are you happy to share the pain? What are your thoughts on broken promises or on the commitment to bring the budget back under control? You can contribute to our conversation today. 1-800-880-876. Our special guests, Gavin Martin, our regular finance commentator, founder of Cornerstone Wealth. Also, Dr. Rod St. Hill is with us. He's the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College, a lecturer in economics and applying a Christian worldview to business. And we're applying a Christian worldview to the things that we have heard from the Treasurer in last night's budget. Uh, coming first uh, back to you, Gavin Martin, uh, just before the break uh, with uh, with the word for today, you, you were talking about the foreign aid budget. Uh, there's been some significant changes there. Uh, what are the things that you've gleaned from what the Treasurer announced? Yeah, similar to the way that they've made some savings with family tax benefits by uh, freezing the increase in the payments, they're applying a similar approach to the foreign aid budget, so they're limiting it, I think it was to $5.5 billion for the next couple of years, and then they'll increase it with the consumer price index, the inflation, rather than linking it to um, our total revenue. And so the whole effect of that is that the um, aid budget is reducing over time. Uh, 
And uh, I guess that's a concern as we try to look out for those people around um, uh, the world, not just locally in Australia, who are at most disadvantaged. Uh, but then, similar to what we've been talking about before, um, I've spoken to someone who um, works in, in the area of aid and he's seen more of those niche projects rather than the massive projects achieving a lot better outcomes. So perhaps we could actually target the money better and uh, potentially Christian organisations could uh, do that in a more nimble and effective way. I have uh, gleaned a few comments that have come from organisations like the MICA Challenge. Uh, this is an organisation that's been interested in the implementation of those Millennium Development Goals. And every time there is a cut to foreign aid, uh, MICA Challenge is usually first one on the bandwagon to say, hey, this is not good enough because seriously, uh, cutting our foreign aid when we are such a wealthy nation and the commitments that have been made in years gone by to actually meet those Millennium Development Goals, which is all about reducing or even eliminating poverty around the world. Uh, when we hear of cuts to foreign aid, Rod St. Hill, uh, what are your thoughts when it comes to a Christian worldview being applied to these things? Well, actually, I probably won't make myself very popular with some organisations, but I'm not too worried about that because we actually know that foreign aid per se doesn't do a lot of good. Foreign aid was supposed to deal with the poverty problem 50 years ago and it hasn't. What we do know, however, is that um, extreme poverty has been more than halved in the low-income countries between 1990 and 2010. And even when you allow for population growth, the actual number of people living in extreme poverty has fallen by 700 million in that period of time. And that is the one millennial goal that has actually already been met long before 2015. There are three reasons why that that attack on poverty has been so successful over the last 20 to 30 years. One is there has been investment in education. Another is there has been investment in health. And a healthy, educated population helps with economic growth and development. But the other reason, and this accounts for 50 to 60% of the improvement, is that sustainable paid employment has been created by businesses. And so... The activity of business in this, and we're talking about micro-businesses. They're businesses that employ fewer than 10 people in the main. They've created these jobs. And when new jobs are created, that assists families. It makes it a lot easier to maintain the family unit. When mum and dad have jobs, paid, secure jobs, they don't have the same pressure to sell their children into slavery. Communities stay together. So there's a, there's a community development aspect to this. And furthermore, when you've got stable communities, that actually makes it easier to achieve the big macroeconomic objectives of economic development and growth. We do know, however, that although government aid doesn't do very much at all, there are some particular programs, and, and there's been a very substantial study done of the work of Compassion, for example, and we do now know beyond a shadow of a doubt that programs of that type break the poverty cycle. We do know from research done with organisations like Opportunity International, an Australian organisation, that coupling some training with finance can also break the poverty cycle. I think it's very important for us to note, however, that it is not handouts that break the poverty cycle, and in most cases the poor in the low-income nations, they don't want a handout. They want a hand up. 
because they, they're entrepreneurial. They want to work. They're not stupid. They might not be well-educated, but they're not stupid people. And we know now empirically that we can reduce poverty through business. We know that beyond the shadow of a doubt. I think it would be interesting for our conversation if we had a breakdown of how that foreign aid money was spent because when there are cuts, uh, many will agree with you about uh, those areas of breaking poverty cycles coming down to education and those micro-businesses that are helping there. Uh, But that foreign aid money that is spent when it comes to vaccinations of people against dreadfully uh, uh, dangerous diseases and the provision of clean water. Uh, those are the things that I think we might all hope are not going to be affected by cuts in our foreign aid budget because those are the things where people's lives are, d- uh, are dramatically uh, and specifically focused, uh, that, uh, that lives can be saved if we actually uh, help out in those areas of vaccination. Uh, we'll continue our conversation. We're talking about last night's budget. Uh, your invitation to be a part of our conversation, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. 0876 Let's take some calls. Uh, Robert in Portland in Victoria. Hello, Robert. Welcome to 2020. Hello. Thank Robert, you. what's your comment? Um. Mr Hockey on the budget about everybody's get a share to pain. I don't see why the politicians don't take a bit of a pay cut a bit longer. And also with their super, why don't they pay like everybody else the same percentage as everybody else pays? Gavin Martin, uh, Gavin Martin. when it comes to uh, politicians, that is one area that uh, has been addressed and whether it was directly as a result of the Treasurer or the Prime Minister, there is going to be something of a pay freeze. What are your thoughts? Yes, I think that's a really warranted uh, initiative and I'm not sure whether it's happened in the past. I'm not sure if you know, Rod, but I think it's a very welcome initiative there. And uh, yeah, Robert, I'm not sure uh, how long it should uh, last for. Uh, as in, it should it go? Maybe it should go a little bit longer than what they've currently uh, planned. But at least it's a stepping stone towards actually politicians sharing the pain as well. Um, in regards to their superannuation scheme, it is very generous. I know they've um, announced that they'll close a lot of the defined benefit schemes, which uh, have caused a, a, a growing liability on the public um, purse to uh, pay out these. Uh, defined benefit scheme. So, yeah, I, I think that's something that really should be raised as well, Robert, that uh, should, ev- should politicians actually go to an accumulation-type scheme like most other um, uh, people are on. Robert from Portland in Victoria, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Rod St Hill, uh, on politicians and uh, wage freezes, is that something that's positive? Uh, look, I think it's time we had a pretty significant, significant inquiry into the whole issue of remuneration of politicians. Their um, superannuation scheme was generous originally because the argument was, well, you could only be there for three years and you give up so much if you're a lawyer or a business person to go into the parliament. But the truth is now a lot of our politicians are professional. They're in for a long time, many, many terms. A lot of them are in for 10, 12, 15, 20 years. And so politics as a vocation has become much more like any other job in that respect. So I, I think it is high time that we had a pretty good look at it. It's not going to make much a dif- much difference overall. It won't save the the government much money. But I think there's a moral reason why we should bring politicians more into line with the average person in our community. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. We need to do something with it. Is there something symbolic in the sharing of the pain that the Treasurer was talking about? Oh, certainly. With with the pay freeze, that's, that's, that's saying, well, look, you know, we're going to take some of the pain as well. And, look, I, I support that. 
But that's not really any, uh, uh, getting at the fundamental issues. I think the fundamental issue is the the job of the politician is different now. And uh, therefore, the remuneration principles that might have applied at the time of federation or even towards the middle of last century, they no longer apply. Let's take another caller. Leonie is in Cavendish in Victoria. Hello, Leonie. Welcome to 2020. Thank you, gentlemen, for the program. I'm sorry, I'm at the supermarket. It's a bit noisy here. Uh, I'm curious as to what effect the budget will have on somebody who's on a disability pension. Gavin Martin. Yeah, disability pension, uh, if you are over 35 years of age, it will have less impact. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are under 35 years of age, uh, it can have a significant impact because they're targeting getting people off the disability support and um, into employment. Um, uh, So there are other uh, changes in terms of, um, I mentioned the one where travelling overseas, is uh, you'll start to miss out on your your disability support pension there. Um, I... I haven't noted any of the other um, uh, changes in terms of escalating um, uh, the payments. Uh, a lot of the age pension payments are looking at freezing, but not with the disability support pension at this stage. OK. Thank you for that. Thank you for your call, Leone. When it comes to the NDIS, uh, your thoughts, uh, Rod St Hill, when it comes to uh, what the government might be doing with the National Disability Insurance Scheme, uh, there seems to be some confusion as to how that's all going and the funding for it. Um, There is a little bit of confusion and I don't think the budget has really cleared that up except to say that it it will happen and it will be funded. So I, I don't think there's any risk at all that that um, scheme is going to be changed in a substantial way. The rollout may be slowed down a little bit, but I, I don't think that's clear from the budget documents, although, although Gavin might be able to correct me there. I, I think one of the big issues is how we finance it into the future. I'd personally like to finance it fully through the Medicare levy. Okay, and uh, you'd be talking about an incremental increase in the Medicare levy so that it covers all of those health issues. I think it should cover Medicare in full, the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme in full, and the NDIS in full, because that makes it truly an insurance premium that that everybody is paying. You might have a comment on any of the issues we're talking about. A Christian worldview perspective on last night's federal budget. Our two guests, Gavin Martin, our finance commentator. Also, Dr Rod St Hill, the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. You can call us and be a part of our conversation today. one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. We'll be back to talk some more in just a few moments. Great to have you with us on 2020. It's Neil Johnson with you, our special guest this hour, Gavin Martin, our regular finance commentator, and Dr Rod St Hill, who's the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. We're talking about a Christian worldview perspective on last night's federal budget delivered by the Treasurer, Joe Hockey. And uh, one of the things that has been a major concern has been the idea of a debt levy. And it appears to be that the rich are going to be slugged. And uh, it does seem to be that uh, those on lower incomes are slightly under a reprieve here because uh, the uh, the cutoff was going to be a lower level. When it comes to this debt levy, Gavin Martin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so the actual uh, term that they've called it is a temporary budget repair levy, and it's two percent for those people earning over one hundred eighty thousand dollars, and it starts from the first of July two thousand and fourteen, and it will last for three years. Um, a lot of the other measures uh, are regressive, so the, the fuel excise, um, uh, 
the uh, co-payment for uh, doctors' uh, visits. Um, and then we've also that's so that's targeted the lower end. We've had the family tax benefit changes, uh, looking at the middle income earners, and then we've got the uh, temporary budget repair levy, as they call it, uh, focusing on the higher end, um, so the, those earning over 180,000. There is some uh, comment that, uh, hey, it's not really uh, fair that the higher income earners are, um, are only seeing uh, the tax for three years, whereas um, it's, a, it's a permanent thing for those on the lower end of the spectrum. Um, but uh, they do pay a lot of tax uh, at that higher end as well. Rodson Hill, when we talk about this uh, budget repair levy, uh, we're talking about the wealthy in Australia, we're talking about the poor. Uh, When we discuss sharing the pain, as we have been, uh, there's also another issue of what's fair. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the rich and the poor? Well, actually, one of the problems we have in Australia is that we don't have enough rich people. And, uh, you know, the people who will actually be targeted by this, this levy, which really is a tax, an increase in tax at any rate, um, they only represent 2.5% of taxpayers. They already pay 26.5% of the tax. So they're already paying a very, very large proportion of the tax bill. Now... The top 20% of income earners, and those are um, taxpayers earning over about $80,000 a year, that's the top 20%, they pay 80% of the total income tax bill. So that's the 80-20 rule in action. 80% of the total income tax bill paid by individuals is actually paid by just 20% of the highest income earners. So the Who's doing the heavy lifting here? They are already doing the heavy lifting. Over almost three quarters, it's about 72% of um, personal income tax is used to fund social welfare programs. And of the total government revenue, two-thirds of it is raised from the wealth creators in our nation, the businesses and the higher income earners, those people who are actually out there creating more jobs. So the rich in Australia, few though they are, are already contributing majorly to taxation revenue on the part of the government. Well, you might have some perspectives on this. one 800 We have got time for another couple of calls in here. Frank from Noble Park in Victoria. Hello, Frank. Welcome to 2020. Mr Neil Johnson, Gavin, Rod and all those great listeners there. Why is always the poor man hit always? Now, say, for example, look at BHP, look at the banks, look at Rupert Murdoch. He gets a tax rebate of $882 million per year. Look at that 180000 bracket of only 650,000 people in Australia. 2% of 180000 is $3,600 per year. Now, say, for example, they get a rebate, Rupert gets $882 million in tax rebate, the 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 the, the six hundred and fifty thousand one hundred eighty thousand they get a, they have to pay only two percent three thousand six hundred but all BHP the banks and all the rich people not even tax whatsoever the small man always hit and he's supposed to be a Catholic he goes to church every week he went to be a priest he left his robes and now then this man J H he he came from Palestine his people had a hard time there he has come now to Australia. And after the budget, smoking cigars outside there, and they say, what shall it profit a man the whole world if he lose his own soul? And just like Shakespeare said, 
What a webby spin when they plan to deceive. Okay, Frank. Frank, let me just uh, get a perspective or two. We have been talking about uh, the equity between rich and poor. You're saying that uh, the poor seem to cop the slug here. Uh, we just heard Rod St Hill saying uh, it's the rich in Australia who are bearing a lot under that tax burden. We were talking about sharing the pain. It is going to affect uh, lower income earners, uh, but it doesn't mean that it uh, isn't fairly shared in the sense that the rich are actually paying a huge uh, tax burden. Frank, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call from Terry in Ipswich. Hello, Terry. Welcome to 2020. Oh, thank you very much. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Very well. What's your contribution, um, Terry? I, I really like to um, sort of broaden the discussion. Um, the budget seems to be paying a very a micro, uh, on a micro basis rather than a macro basis. When the, the governments of both sides, both Liberal and Labor, um, don't discuss how Australia is going for the rest of the world, um, we, we've been given the unemployment figures, which have been given to us by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. But if you go to the Roy Morgan um, statistics, it shows that unemployment is over 20% uh, for overall. Um, but in terms of the 18 to 24, you're talking over 40%. Now, those numbers are never revealed um, to the general public, you know, through the, new, the general news media, but, but they exist. And what happens is, is we seem to be playing in the sandpit rather than on the beach, and the health of the Australian economy has been said it's been good compared to the rest of the world. But unfortunately, um, what's been happening is, is we, we often talk about productivity in Australia, but we usually talk about it in terms of dollar terms where... The Australian worker might get 50, or the average Australian worker might be on $600 a week or 30000 a year. Or a Filipino in a call centre might earn 3,000 pesos a week or seven, what's that, $7.50 per week. Oh, sorry. Um, what we need to start looking at, more importantly, is where Australia is right now in terms of the global village and where it is going to be down the track. And unfortunately, we have a structured economy, not unfortunately, it's wonderful, we have a structured economy in Australia. Why the rest of the world doesn't, it, it permits slave labour conditions in most of the Asian countries, particularly China and, and Southeast Asia, probably uh, in the Indian countries as well. Now, there, there may be a small growing population of middle class in those countries, but they're, they're minute compared to the general population. So the Australian government talks about, at the, at the budget level, it talks about revenue income and revenue expenditure, but doesn't address the larger issues. And that larger issue is, is where do we want to place ourselves and what sort of economy or what sort of country do we want um, going forward? Do we want to... Okay, Terry, let me, uh, let me just uh, address that to uh, Rod St Hill. When we talk about uh, uh, the figures that we're presented with, there are underlying figures. These may be different, uh, representing different figures uh, when it comes to comparisons of things around the world. Uh, your response to Terry, fairly quickly, we're running yeah, out of time. Just quickly, the um, Roy Morgan data, I've seen that. The Australian Bureau of Statistics also <laughs> publishes data. When you take into account people who are working some hours but want more hours of work per week, the unemployment rate doubles. So the, the figure that is published does understate the unemployment rate <coughs> because it doesn't include people who work for one hour or more um, in the reference week. The, the other issue about you know how we're setting Australia up for the future, I think that's the whole point of the budget. The whole point of reining in the budget deficit is to set Australia up so that it will be a better place in which to do business and through 
the growth of business, the hope is that there will be more paid employment, and I think that will be the outcome. Terry from Ipswich, thanks so much for your contribution today on 2020. Uh, Running out of time, gentlemen, Gavin Martin, uh, some final remarks perhaps about the direction and the Treasurer saying there were more cuts to come. Uh, What are your thoughts on the possibility of more hardships ahead? Yes, I guess they had to keep some of their promises this first term, so they can't uh, do too much. It'll be interesting to see how things progress as they... Um, I think there's another review, uh, a tax review, um, and it'll be interesting to see what they then um, move to. So, um, yeah, one of the bigger things is what might might come next. Um, but in the meantime, we've got to do the best with what we can. But also remember that these these announcements need to actually pass through um, the parliament as well. So we might not see all of them come to fruition. Uh, so keep tabs on that and then make the most of your particular situation. And Rodson Hill, very quickly, uh, your thoughts on uh, future hardships, more cuts? There may be more cuts, but a lot of that would depend on what happens in the business sector to produce economic growth. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you both, gentlemen, for being part of this particularly uh, unique budget review. And great to be able to talk about these things from a Christian worldview perspective. Gavin Martin, who's our regular finance commentator, also the founder of Cornerstone Wealth. And uh, you could Google Gavin's site and find out some more about what he does as a financial advisor. Also, Dr. Rod St. Hill, who's the Dean of Business at Christian Heritage College in Brisbane, a lecturer in economics, applying a Christian worldview to business. Uh, Just wonderful to hear from you gentlemen. Of course, uh, you could find out what's on offer business-wise at the Christian Heritage College too. Just Google Christian Heritage College online. Uh, to you, Gavin Martin, and uh, to Rod St. Hill, thank you so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Vision. You might have noticed we do things differently to the other stations. So put us in your radio preset and drop by anytime. You're more than Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.